Welcome to episode six of Once Upon a Lifetime. Welcome back. Episode one of Eunice Kennedy Shriver. Very excited to be introducing you to Eunice because although there are plenty of Kennedy buffs in the world, most of us just don't know a whole lot more than presidents, assassinations, plane crashes, politics. And with Eunice, we get more than that package. She is not as well known as, well, obviously JFK, but even not as well known as Robert or Ted or even her sister Kick who married into the British aristocracy. She did not face one of those tragic ends that four of the nine Kennedy children faced, but she is the only Kennedy who really survived and thrived amidst this barrage of family tragedies. And in a family that is so well known for being dedicated to public service, but sort of having this questionability in terms of motives. They obviously, as a clan, you know, love power, prestige, and wealth. But you could just do a character study in generosity by looking at Eunice's life. Her motives are purer, and she is utterly consistent in her fight for the poor, the disabled, and otherwise lowly people in society. She also is a fantastic role model for women who really sort of think outside the box that they were born into, because she is somebody who was born into this world of couture, but was kind of often <laughs> mistaken for a hobo. She was so unkempt and had so little regard for clothes and hair and style. You know, she was fully expected to marry a rich and powerful man and to manage his household. But instead, she she is the rich and powerful woman. And she ends up being kind of a terrible household manager to the point where she's known for serving terrible food at her dinner parties and hardly ever being present to the details of daily life. And most importantly, her family of origin tried to hide the fact that they had a disabled child. But she not only, at the first opportunity, publicized that fact in a New York Times article, but she blew it up. She made it her life's work to shed light on the plight of the disabled and on the families that care for them, putting her and her family front and center as examples of people who had gone through these struggles. And I don't want to spoil the punchline here, but it is no secret that the jewel in her crown is Special Olympics. Special Olympics simply would not exist without Eunice Kennedy's big thinking and big goals. So at the risk here of sounding cliche, I will say she is a woman who didn't know a boundary that was not meant to be broken through. She is arguably the Kennedy who has the largest legacy, but unlike the brothers in the family, her legacy is lived out in through the poor, disadvantaged, and disabled, and she herself seems to be fading into the background. So today we want to reintroduce the world to Eunice Kennedy Shriver, but in order to do that, it is a fact that we are going to set the stage. We're going to be talking about the Kennedys. This episode will be largely about Rose and Joe and the family life and culture that they built. We will get up through age seven of Eunice's life, and, and we will be taking a significant detour into her older sister, Rosemary Kennedy's childhood as well, which, as you will see, is absolutely critical to the way Eunice develops. 
So with no further ado, let's jump right into our conversation. She was born on July 10th, 1921 in Boston. It's just one year after women secured the right to vote, which I think is interesting because her family is so political. Her mother, Rose, had actually stumped for... Oh, her dad, Honey Fitz. Honey Fitz. Rose Fitzgerald comes from a political family. Before she even met and married Joe Kennedy, her dad was Honey Fitz, who was a popular mayor in Boston. He was really a man about town, and Rose had a lot of political experience. She really cut her feet uh, stumping and and working with her father and really learning at her knees. She was really someone who was well-suited to political life. She was, and her husband, Joe, started out more as a financier. He was a banker. He wasn't in politics immediately, but he had political aspirations for himself. And then, of course, eventually his sons. When Eunice was born, Rose and Joe already had four older kids. Already in the Kennedy lineup were Joe Jr., who was six, Jack, who was four, Rosemary, who was two and a half, and Kick. They called her Kick. Her name was Kathleen, who was one and a half. And that is a lot of little kids. Oh, yeah. In six years. And then there's Eunice. It was. And the kids came quickly because Joe Jr., their first child, was born about nine and a half months after their wedding date. Like, boom. She was named Eunice after Rose's fragile sister, who ended up dying two years later of tuberculosis, which she contracted working for the Red Cross during World War One. And her little namesake, Uni, was also in poor health. So Eunice's health was always a concern to her parents from the very start. Her whole life, she was just, she was really, really painfully thin. She had stomach problems. She frequently had hospitalizations. And so she had a nickname, which kind of breaks my heart. Puny Uni. (laughs) So despite this, Eunice was full of energy. She was fiercely competitive. And she was just like a little bit to look at, but... She, she was had pretty to fight fierce. harder. She than did. Everyone else. She did. Uni uni. Yes. And you know those big families, they're nickname givers for sure. So Absolutely. Uh, she just drew the short straw on that though. So when she's born, Joe Kennedy is working his way up in the business world and is currently investing lots of time and money into the theater and movie world and he's closing in on his first million. The year before this, Rose, his wife, had actually left him for a period of time, moved back home. She was pregnant with Kick and she moved back home because she it's un, it's unclear 100 percent, but it makes the most sense that she gets wind that Joe is philandering with all of these movie star and theater actresses. Right. She she did not get a lot of sympathy when she went home. Now, Rose's father, um, Honey Fitz, he he had advised against the marriage. They met when they were quite young, when the families were vacationing. They saw each other behind their parents' backs for about seven years. Joe's dad was the political rival to her dad, Honey oh, Fitz, no. right? Yes, like Romeo and Juliet, right? They were not supposed to see each other. There's Capulets little... and Yes, there was a little bit of sneaking around, but Rose just would not be denied. And after seven years, they finally, they did marry up. She was six and he was eight when they met. So that's young to meet somebody. Can you imagine you meet your future spouse that young? But they knew and they saw each other, as Rose says, more often than my father was aware of. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So they're, they're 24 when they get married. So basically, after all of this saying no and saying no, Rose's dad, when she comes back, was kind of like, I told you so. And P.S. We're Catholic. You're not getting a divorce. So go home, go to your husband, you know, for the children. And and she did. And that's the last that you ever hear any noise 
of Rose ever disapproving of, of her husband's extracurricular activities. I think maybe before then and after then, she just decides to ignore the fact that this is happening at all, wouldn't you say? Yeah, like, it's it's almost a mental gymnastics of yes. denial. It gets weird. He's, but he, he's very open. When he likes somebody, he's pretty open about it. And I feel like the kids were like, yeah, dad has a lot of friends. He's a friendly guy, <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> right. Yes. So Rose is getting herself through this. And I feel like it's equal measures of faith, willpower, denial, and medication. Yes. Yeah. And vacations. And yeah. The number of vacations. Right. You can Retail conveniently therapy. with your children somewhere else. Or not yeah. with your children. No, yeah. not with the children. Or go by yourself. She's frequently... <laughs> Mama vacation. Yeah, she. that's what I was going to say is she really seems after she returns home from her parents' house, mm -hmm. they forge parallel lives, she and Joe. They have the children in common, but they're almost never with the children at the same ask, time. Like, what are they doing with the numerous children that are going to be coming uh, along? The, the kids are at home for the most part until they're a little older and then they're in boarding schools. But either Joe or Rose are on site and, and Eddie and Mary Moore yeah. are there as well. So Eddie is Joe's kind of personal go-to guy and Mary is his wife and they end up becoming very close godparents to the children and just very very involved in that sort of day-to-day -day. they even help make decisions for the kids where they should go to school they they're basically surrogate parents so there are kind of at any given time say three parents involved mm -hmm. Mary Eddie and either Rose or Joe. But rarely... It's really complicated. <laughs> yes. Rarely is there Joe and Rose together. Yeah, because... and she was gone quite a bit. Oh, she yeah. really did travel for months at a time when the kids were little. One thing I will say for Joe is, although he was an unfaithful husband, I don't think he was an unfaithful father. You know, he didn't just disappear out of their lives. He was, even if he was absent, he was a huge letter writer. Mm-hmm. So much of our information about the Kennedy family is coming from the enormous amount of communication between him and each of the kids. And he took a lot of interest in them, in each of them. Uh, and, and he wanted different kinds of success for all of them. He wanted the boys to be, you know, successful in a very worldly way. The girls... I think he wanted to be happy, although he did not expect very much of them, either academically or career-wise. I don't think so. The girls all went to convent schools, and the boys went to Protestant schools, because Joe knew that they were going to have to move and shake in politics, and he wanted them to come in contact with the people that he felt were going to be the most influential and kind of get them to where they needed to go. But the girls were supposed to learn how to be thrifty little housewives to their future probably Politician husbands yeah. indeed yes i mean yes. rose literally says that rose says they will be married to influential catholics and they need to learn the value of a dollar wow that's yeah. sort of the the vision for the girls is is that like one step away from arranged marriage it is it's <laughs> although not in not in actual not in actuality they did yeah. not they didn't pick any follow through but they had a, on you know, that they had a model that they, they had a plan a bar to. for sure <laughs> And the kids, however, were not like they didn't bulk at the bar. They thought, oh, so that's where you want me to jump. Like, that's that's what I'll do. Like, they were well conditioned to to kind of try to meet their parents' expectations because they kind of as a family had those things all in common. 
And and Rose, even though she was traveling a lot, she was going to Paris to get clothes and stay away from Joe and things like that. She was a very conscientious mother, in the, in, but like not in, in a very affectionate, doting way. She just took it super seriously. I feel like this is someone who probably would have done very well in business, probably would have done excellent politics herself, but she felt this was her task and she was just going to do her best. And so there's a quote from her, which I think kind of sums it up where she says, when you hold your baby in your arms the first time and you think of all the things you can say and do to influence him, it's a tremendous responsibility. And what you do with him can influence not only him, but everyone he meets and not for a day or a month or a year, but for time and eternity, which is kind of a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is Rose. That is, she's just like, I am parenting for all time and eternity. So she thought that's a big job. How am I going to stay organized with that? But Rose is going to stay organized, right? Yeah. I had a quote from her about motherhood where she said, I looked upon child rearing as a profession and decided it was as interesting and just as challenging as anything else. So she really does take this very professionally she mm -hmm. has this system this very kind of famous index card system oh, yeah. for each kid she has <laughs> files of these index cards with all of their weekly weigh-ins on saturday she would weigh them all on saturdays she would have all their medical records are there but also reports from the school any kind of major goings-on in their life was all recorded on this system that way she had access to it of course but so did you have to remember she has a staff she has governesses tutors, nursemaids, and she's gone a lot. She leaves for three months at a time. So Joe needs access to this. So I think in an era where women did all of the work, Joe actually was more involved in some ways. I mean, he was certainly the, you know, he's gone working all the time as well, but she would leave for these big chunks of time and really rely on him to kind of pull the weight. Just all that information would be there. It was accessible. You know, you didn't have to kind of... <laughs> bother her she contact her very very methodical and she was always occupied with the children's weight their appearances their manners like not only for when they were small children but you know, even if you're the president you, she would say i think you pronounced this wrong or do you think that if she just she had thoughts she always had thoughts and she let you know yeah and when they were little she had routines for just everything from health, reading, eating, cleaning, playtime, education. She even had dinner table conversation routines, certain things they talked about on certain nights of the week. Everything was regimented. <laughs> yeah. And so you can almost see why like, well, yeah, you would need a lot of vacations from that. Probably. I mean, you were when you were on as a parent yeah. in that family, you were on. You weren't. There's no like checking your Instagram. That's not happening oh. in this house. No. No, no, no. But morning after breakfast, the kids would line up, use the bathroom one by one, then the clothing inspection. After, yeah, the clothing inspection. And after that. Sounds like a scene from Sound of Music. It like, kind of you know, does. Like the, kind of, right? Liesel Friedrich Kurt, Marta Louis. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think that there's um, some generational similarities. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. After that, they were outside, no matter what the weather was. They were like, nope, fresh air. Out you go. It's on the list. So you're yep. going outside. That's right. And there is a certain generational thing happening where, um, what's her name from Cheaper by the Dozen? 
Oh, uh, Lillian Gilbreth? Yes, Lillian Gilbreth. Oh, ha- is She's also in this era kind of professionalizing and using the science of... Well, the study of motion and, yep. and economy and motion. And she just married that into household yes life and so you have there there is an actual movement kind of to professionalize motherhood and yeah. rose is just all about it and she has all these children one of the things i love that she did i thought this was sort of brilliant she had this house that had a big porch a big kind of wraparound porch and at this point this is so this is a couple years after eunice is born she has seven kids and she said the big boys were just wild and they would play rough but they would so then they would hurt the little kids. So what she did is she divided her big porch into sections for age groups. So she said she would sit there and read the newspaper <laughs> and watch them sit in their three different sections for the different age groups. And she said they could see each other and they could talk to each other, but they couldn't hurt each other and nobody could sit down on the baby carriage and flip it over and oh, I mean I just boy. think this is kind of yeah. smart. Like great. Like a big giant playpen but on the porch. Now she was very strict. I, mean, I guess we get the idea that she was tough or, or firm, but they also knew that if they didn't mind, she would. She had a ruler handy or a coat hanger, like she she would go to. Like so, she said that they were very convenient because in any room there would be a closet, and the hangers in them would be right at hand. <laughs> but one time she was going to Bobby and Maria Shriver's Eunice's kids to go babysit them, and um, they knew she was coming, so they took all the coat hangers and threw them down the laundry chute. Oh, no. She had no problem also with locking a naughty child in a closet. Yeah, but she would not allow the staff. No nannies, no nurses, no governesses were allowed to physically discipline the children. That was a job only for mom and dad. I I want to say that's great, but... (laughs) Well, I think that yeah. that's interesting. No, that I, distinction. I think right. It is. Yeah, no, because you could end up. It is in those days because people spanking your kids multiple yes. times a day. And then Indeed, they end up just abused a little children the whole day. You yeah, know? right. Right. They actually did fire a German nanny who was hitting the kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of intentionality in their parenting. Maybe not a lot of warmth. You couldn't say that they were not trying. I guess is the in, in that they were even a bit progressive for that mm-hmm. day and age. I think that, you know, like, where is it coming from? Like, why are they wanting this? And I think that Joe's thing was like, for some of it, it was pride and wanting to get ahead and to show everybody that Irish Catholics could show everybody he was going to show everybody and produce this like, amazing family. And they were going to go far and they were going to change things. So I think it was like, Jack Kennedy, somebody had asked him, at the beach, like, what do you think was your dad's main impetus in, in like getting to you where you are with this election and everything? And, and Jack just looked out the ocean and without even like turning to look at his friend, he just said, pride. It was my dad's pride. So th- it was like enormous, like good pride, like in having a family unit. But then there was also, I think for Joe, like a little bit of vanity to, to get his kids where they wanted them to be. And then Rose, I, I think she just... This was her job. She wanted her kids like she wanted to get them to be successful. And like in her faith, she also wanted to like have them be good and get to heaven. Like she was very focused in what she thought needed to be done. His motivations were were pride and hers are very confusing. I I actually find her to be a harder character. Complex character. Yes, because Mm -hmm. he didn't feign. He was very upfront with with 
how he thought like one of his quotes when he's it's just like we don't want any losers here right and she well she actually said they were all winners she said that about her kids so i think that that was a joint effort the whole winner loser thing and she also had other thoughts like she taught them i don't think you're much good unless you're doing good to someone and the other big thing which drove rose was willpower just willpower and doing what's necessary is what keeps me going to whom much is given, much will be expected. And she right. thought, you know, we are we are blessed and you have a duty and everyone has to do their duty. So they were also very duty bound too. So it was just a whole soup of of ambition High and duty and expectations pride. Right. And yeah, yeah. It's I mean the thing to live up to. The thing that I have a hard time reconciling with her is I think she did have a very sincere and deep Catholic faith, but she also lived in this weird denial about her husband's behavior. And I don't know how to reconcile that myself. I I think maybe because she was very intentional on what the teachings were at the time of like what a dutiful wife would do or would put up with. Back in those days, too, it was such a mark on you to have a marriage fall apart in in a Catholic circle especially. She probably partially didn't want to smear her family's name. Yes. Like talk about all of us are going to be losers now. If your main motivation is let's be winners, yeah. you don't admit that you're losing royally. True. I, I can't imagine 1920s couples counseling. Like no. what would that No, be? no such thing. It's not. Right. Not so I thing. guess it, it's it's hard to see, to reconcile it now, but maybe back right. then it, it, it made a kind of sense. made more sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. And there was the medication. I have a list. Can I uh, ask without sending us on a major rabbit trail? I don't even know. I have no idea what she was on. I'm interested. Secondal, Placidil, Librium, Dalmain. So that was all. I don't even, I can't pronounce all these. That was for nervousness and stress. And then she also had things for her stomach problems which seemed to be a Kennedy thing, and maybe also from stress, a lomatil, bentil, librax, and tagamet. She said, I don't drink, I don't smoke, but I have a lot of children, oh, right? I guess I'm just an old-fashioned girl. <laughs> it's like that adamant song because it was just like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, but, but I, I have a handful. thousand pills <laughs> a day. <laughs> right. But it was just, it was a lot of stuff, and she did her best. She really, she did do a good job in the sense that the None of the kids ever felt that they were shortchanged. I mean, dad's over here with, you know, Marlene Dietrich one day and was it glorious once in the next? He's doing his thing and she's being all stern with the coat hangers and they're like, we had a great childhood. Because it's denial so a close. big Kennedy thing. Yes. Well, let's look at this a little. Yeah, I definitely. That is. is a famous trait. Like yeah. from the outside, when people got close to them, they thought they are a hot mess. Well, in a sense that they were like, how can these people be so successful and yet so oblivious? Like they just choose to ignore things that do not fit the narrative. Like that does not compute. We're just not going to give it any attention. But I think that they, at least in Eunice's case, and obviously we've studied her more. I think it was a sincere pleasure she took in her family life. I think there was denial, but... Like out of charity almost too. She loved her dad so much. She right. she wouldn't want to believe anything bad of him. It was... Yeah, they all, all of the kids talk a lot about how much attention they received. And I, I was honestly shocked. I mean, there's a lot of meddling, but there's a lot of meddling. Like they cared. They, you know, they were, both parents were really 
not checked out. They were busy and they were traveling and things, but they were not checked out. They were really invested. They also didn't have to be. With all the nannies and government. Absolutely. Maybe another family would have to be in a different socioeconomic setting, but like they could have very easily chosen a different path. Yes, they could have. We'll let the nanny take care of you or the, you know, the friend, the BFFs, like whatever, we're done. I think that's why I, even though there's a, there's a lot of controlling going on, I admire just having my own kids and knowing how much effort it takes just to make sure they have changed their underwear in the morning. That alone, I'm just impressed by the amount of attention. And there's so many of them. They were also really involved in making sure that their children had ideas, that they discussed ideas and, and news and met interesting people. And it wasn't just that they took care of them physically very well or financially very well, but they really sat down and had deep discussions about all kinds of things. They really cared about what their children thought about, what they read, who they spoke to. They just were very engaged. Yes, I agree. I think so. Those are the positives of that family dynamic. So Eunice was a very early talker, mover, super coordinated. Those are all on the index cards, by the way. Yes, that's how we know. (laughs) Rose wrote it all down. Yeah, they said she was the best little talker of the bunch. She was super competitive. Her spot in the family is so middle child. I mean, she's what we call a smack dabber. She, Mm -hmm. by the end of the child bearing years, she is number five of nine. So she's four above her and four below her. And she is smack dab. She's just right there in the middle. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, too, the kids kind of ran into packs. And so she was in the middle in the way that Joe and Jack and Kick were a unit, like the three eldest got into mischief together. And we'll go more into her sister, Rosemary. But when when Eunice was kind of growing up, It wasn't long until Rosemary was already away and out of the home. And so then we have Eunice in the middle. And then at the very end, we have like the little tail end Charlie's. We have the little squad of Pat and Bobby and Jean and Teddy kind of bring up the rear. And so they're like the little kids and the big kids. And so Eunice really is in the middle. And when she's not helping to, you know, assist Rosemary the best she can, she is, she's just there to kind of be a helper to her mom. She doesn't have a clan like within the clan within this whole unit she's just kind of at a loose end herself right she is always trying to play up and then being pushed down to help take care of the younger kids that is a dynamic but she's not unhappy it makes her actually really competitive it makes her such a striver you know like i'm going to be able to keep up i'm going to keep up and she does she just ends up being really athletically inclined, you know, and I'm sure it's because of this kind of the drive to keep up with the big boys. Eunice is often a mentor to her sister Rosemary and her sister Rosemary has developmental delays that were most likely due to her birth, which was a pretty botched scenario. Yeah, it's one of the worst stories. I mean, you know, we talk about the Kennedy family tragedies. And this is, you know, chronologically first, but also just, I think, actually kind of the most horrific, even with assassinations in the mix. Rose was in labor at home, as one did back then. And there was an epidemic of the Spanish flu in the city. And so the doctor was delayed and the nurse was there and the nurse had been trained to deliver babies. So really unclear why she would not deliver Rosie. But Rose, the mother, had started pushing 
And when the baby began to emerge, the nurse told her to close her legs. And when that wasn't working, she literally shoved the baby back up the birth canal and held her head there for two hours, <sighs> waiting, waiting for the doctor to come. It's a podcast, Christine. You have to say something when your oh. mouth's hanging open. <laughs> I, this is the first time I heard this story. Yeah. So I'm a little bit horrified. Uh, yeah. Well, we have all of us had home births, actually. And yes. so uh -huh. when I was reading that, I... I actually it like it hurts. I really did get sick to my mm -hmm. stomach. Very few times have I ever read something and then thought and thought like I might need to pull the car over to puke because I was listening to it actually. And it's did this so woman ever answer for her behavior? Like, did anyone ever oh. question what the did no. doctor show up and say no. why in the world did you do that? Not no. at all. There was just total blind trust in the medical establishment. I'm so. Not only that, like they didn't know how extensive this birth injury was. It was not immediately apparent what kind of damage had been done because initially you have an infant and it sleeps and it eats and right. you don't really know. But then when it comes time to maybe, you Walk, know, crawl, right, talk, right. Yeah. And so she did everything late from the very beginning. You know, she couldn't hold a spoon. As soon as the other kids could hold a spoon, she couldn't crawl. She couldn't steer a sled. She couldn't, you know, just different as, as she was getting older. But it wasn't really until kindergarten when the teachers were able to tell Rose and Joe, no, this is a serious problem. There's, mm -hmm. she's really not close. She's not close to the other kindergartners. So she had repeated kindergarten when they, when they still lived in Boston. She repeated kindergarten twice. Then she repeated first grade twice. So when they had moved to this new fancy New York neighborhood, they actually put her into second grade with Kick, the next daughter down. down. Eunice was then in first grade. In 1927, the family moves from Boston to New York City. Although Joe was one of the richest and most influential men in Boston, he had found he just couldn't get any higher socially because the highest echelons of Boston society were Protestant and not just Protestant, but like anti-Catholic Protestant. And so he said Boston is no place to bring up Irish Catholic children. And at this point, he also sets up trust funds for them, which the kids end up living off of forever. He's rich enough already yeah. to set up trust funds for the kids, wow. even when she's six years old. So they move to a really rich neighborhood in the Bronx, um, and they start attending private school. So the doctors at this time, they're not being super helpful. They don't know a lot, but they begin to really impress on Rose and Joe that um, something is seriously wrong with Rosemary. And Rose is puzzled. She says, I had never heard of a retarded child. And I think this is the time to say that we absolutely understand that the term retarded is not acceptable. But in that time, that was the only term that they had. So when it's appropriate to maybe a quote or in context, you know, forgive us if we use it, but I will say it's because of Eunice's efforts that we understand more about developmental delays and disabilities and, and really have more information than they did at the time. So Rose, Rose has no idea what she's dealing with, but she thinks that a combination of willpower and Joe's money, like those things together and her force of will, they can help Rosemary somehow keep up. Right. Because the doctors immediately say, okay, institutionalize her. This is what people do, especially rich families who can afford to 
hide the child away. Right. If you've got a problem with developmental issues, you immediately put them in a home. But to their everlasting credit, Joe and Rose both said no. We don't want to institutionalize her. Joe actually said, what could a group of strangers do for her that her family can't can't do better? That's what he said. Mm -hmm. Her family can do this better. We're going to do this. And they had plenty of resources. And they really thought, she'll keep up. We'll we'll make sure she can keep up. Oh, yeah. Like, Rose would spend hours, hours hitting tennis balls to Rosemary, hoping that she could improve her coordination. And I imagine it's like the most like loving but heartbreaking and like how much pressure right. it's like you're not gonna actually fix it right a- but she's just she's striving she's yeah. she's really trying and so Eunice here is in the middle and she's dutiful and she's helpful and she's definitely always been compassionate so she's often assigned to kind of mentor to team up with Rosemary to to help her along which sometimes it was a little bit frustrating to Eunice. They'd be on a family boat race and they'd be like, okay, Rosemary, you're on Uni's team. And Eunice is like, Ugh. you know, she wants to win. But even when Rosemary can't keep up with Eunice's captaining orders, Eunice says, I was always sure that Rosie's smile had a value of its own. You know, that, that was still a prize to her to, to make her happy. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end this episode on because we can already see the beginnings of what will grow into Eunice's great contribution to society. And also we now know a lot of the context for her development. Our next episode will be dealing with Eunice's spotty and haphazard education, the family's high profile adventures in England, leading us right into the first year of World War II. We'll see the second of the great family tragedies, and we'll see how they continued to hide and treat Rosemary's disabilities. So join us next time for Once Upon a Lifetime. <laughs>